safer sex. Intercourse. Condoms. Sexually transmitted infection. HIV. HIV. Sexual health. Treatment. Prevention. Sexual attraction. Sexually transmitted Hi, and welcome back. I'm Heather, the Social Media and Consumer Engagement Officer at Sydney Sexual Health Centre, and you're listening to our podcast. This time around, we're discussing what health professionals need to know about PrEP. On the 1st of April 2018, tenofovir tricytabine became available on the Pharmaceutical Benefits Scheme for HIV pre-exposure prophylaxis. In layman's terms, the little blue pills more commonly known by the brand name Truvada were listed on the PBS for use as PrEP. The term pre-exposure prophylaxis, or PrEP, refers to the regular use of HIV medications by people who are HIV negative to prevent acquisition of HIV. The listing of the drug on the PBS means that the out-of-pocket cost to people who use it to protect themselves from HIV is around $39 a month, or as little as $6.40 for concession card holders. Here at Sydney Sexual Health Centre, we've been heavily involved in the EPIC clinical trial that was previously the main way to access PrEP in New South Wales. We're excited by the news that PrEP can now be prescribed through the PBS by any GP. This is an opportunity to move this method of HIV prevention into the community where it can be more widely available to more people who need it. But we're only a few months in and still in what could be called a transition period. We spoke to our clinical services manager and staff specialist Rick Varma and to Mark Block, president of ASHAM, and we asked them what health professionals need to know about PrEP. So my name is Rick Varma, I'm a sexual health physician and I'm the clinical services manager at Sydney Sexual Health Centre. Um, I have uh, been working in the field for over 15 years, both in the UK and London and uh, also here in Sydney. So we're talking today about PrEP moving out of sexual health clinics and into the general practice space. We've seen HIV notifications in gay and bisexual men and in other men who have sex with men drop off relatively sharply since PrEP became more widely available in New South Wales. But there are some other communities, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, some migrant communities and some heterosexual populations and so on, who have seen a small but not insignificant rise in incidence over the last five years. What does it mean for these communities that PrEP can now be accessed via a GP instead of only through sexual health clinics? So firstly, I think um, everyone in the sector was delighted when we saw the reductions in rates of new HIV notifications at such a dramatic reduction, uh, which we've attributed to our policy of trying to encourage testing um, and engagement through PrEP, so pre-exposure prophylaxis. So. Uh, that has been a real success, but as you point out, the challenges are now with the, the remaining communities that you have just described and how they therefore access this great intervention. So the, the move to um, accessing PrEP through primary care uh, is a great opportunity for those communities who may or may not be able to access publicly funded specialist services like sexual health clinics. So it's a great opportunity to find a local GP um, and talk about testing firstly and then think about am I at risk for HIV and if I am, what can I do to prevent myself becoming HIV positive? 
So PrEP is now much more accessible to more people who need it, at least in theory. It can be prescribed by any GP. What do you feel are the major barriers to a successful rollout of GP-led PrEP prescribing? This is definitely the next challenge we have. The initial challenge was firstly delivering it to a lar- on a large scale to a large number of um, high-risk um, people attending sexual health services. The next uh, stage is really this rollout into primary care and this has to happen because there's no way we can um, provide the access that the population need. We have limited numbers of appointments and workforce. So GPs are definitely the, the main place to access PrEP going forward. Um, it's uh, a place where you can provide holistic care, um, something that specialist services just cannot do. And I think we have a tendency to manage and treat people by specific conditions or a prevention message rather than thinking of them as a whole. So if you see a GP, you can go there and uh, talk to them about HIV prevention and at the same time maybe engage with other aspects of your health, uh, which may have been neglected if you just solely went to a specialist service. Um, Now, the barriers, uh, firstly, I think are... um, ensuring that GPs actually know about PrEP. At the moment, um, it is very much thought as a specialist intervention, uh, not a broad intervention which GPs can do. So firstly, we have to uh, make, get that message out there to primary care doctors and all the big um, organisations to be aware that PrEP is something that GPs can do. Secondly, there needs to be an element of upskilling the workforce, uh, and that's been done through various training modules which some national peak bodies such as ASHAM are are providing. There's lots of webinars, there's lots of resources. The SDI program unit have also got some resources. So um, I would definitely encourage GPs to look at these resources which are hopefully dispelling the myth that it is complicated to do this. Um, PrEP is actually something relatively straightforward once you've developed um, some skills with it and um, it's a great way to engage with the population. So on the topic of those skills, something we hear sometimes from people in our community is that their GPs may not be adept at taking a sexual history or the patient has a perception that the doctor isn't open to discussing sexual health issues. As a specialist in this field, what tips would you give to other professionals on taking a sexual history that will help determine whether patients are at an increased risk of HIV? Um, <clears throat> sorry, it's a, it's a great question. Something that uh, I think um, many of us in the sector recognise, um, something in my personal experience when I went through medical school was the teaching for taking sexual history was very minimal, so we were producing lots of doctors who have no experience of taking a sexual history. Um, So the fundamental principles of um, taking a sexual history really are asking open-ended questions, being non-judgmental, asking very straightforward questions to establish risk, such as, do you have sex with men, women, or both? Um, Do you have anal sex? Do you use condoms? They're very straightforward questions to ask, um, and if you ask direct questions, you will generally get the answers that are required to make a call on whether someone is at risk for um, HIV or other sexually transmitted infections. Um, an important tip is really being aware of non-verbal communication, so if a patient feels uncomfortable, or indeed if you make a mess of a consultation, just acknowledge it and say, look, I'm sorry if I offended you, can we just start again? Or 
I'm just trying to find my feet myself. Being honest with patients is always um, uh, a great idea. Again, there are lots of resources out there. The STI Program Unit, ASHAM, all have webinars which you can use to introduce taking a sexual history in a day-to-day -day basis. Are there any scenarios in which PrEP should not be prescribed if someone requests it? So, firstly, um, PrEP, it, there are a number of guidelines. There are national and state-based guidance on who should qualify or you would recommend PrEP for. Uh, it's very important to establish risk. So certainly someone who is at no risk for HIV acquisition generally should not be prescribed pre-exposure prophylaxis and there are criteria for that. Um, but it's something that generally requires discussion. If someone's asking you about PrEP, um, you may want to establish what their risk is and, and certainly establish if they are at high risk for, for HIV or indeed if there's another intervention which would work. There are some, so apart from eligibility criteria, you want to establish firstly, do they have HIV infection? Because if they are HIV positive, they should not have PrEP. Um, also, um, the other main medical issues regarding PrEP is renal failure. So establishing that someone has a criteria of an estimated filtration rate of greater than 60 is a requirement before you prescribe PrEP. Um, and similarly, in the very rare uh, instance when someone has got severe osteoporosis or significant other comorbid conditions, you may want to discuss that with a specialist. Um, but generally it comes down to, is that person at risk for HIV? If they are at low risk, they generally should not require PrEP. However, we've also got to be aware of barriers relating to patients coming in and seeing a doctor. Sometimes um, we are unaware of the power differential in a consultation. So some um, patients might be embarrassed of disclosing um, their specific risk for sexual infections and HIV. They're scared of judgment by their um, GP or specialist and will maintain that they're quite low risk, but at the same time asking for PrEP. Um, so uh, it's, it's, it's worthy certainly of exploring and discussing if someone appears to be low risk and actually trying to work out what's going on. Um, I would say, remember, PrEP is, a, is an amazingly positive experience uh, as a clinician. I've certainly found that and a great way to engage with a population group which may not normally have come to your service. And that's what I'm hearing on the ground from GPs. They've done some training, very short training modules. They've started seeing patients for PrEP and recognize this is great. Patients are coming through my door. It's relatively straightforward. Um, they're a delight to come into the clinic and screening and follow-up visits are very short. It doesn't take long. You've touched there on the follow-up visits and we've been talking a lot about making PrEP more accessible and easily available, but it's not something that should just be prescribed and forgotten about. It comes with recommendations for follow-up care that GPs are well-situated to provide. What should clinicians be looking at in these follow-up visits or when patients request repeat prescriptions? Again, um, the follow-up uh, can actually be done extremely quickly and indeed uh, in our service, and we had I think over 1,500 um, predominantly men who have sex with men, um, patients coming in to see us, the model of care we had was nurse-led. So um, it um, required just certain questions being asked at follow-up, but all could be done within 10 to 15 minutes. So generally on a follow-up visit you want to ensure someone has been taking their medications 
in our experience, most people are. They're engaged with the care. They've been taking it daily, which is the recommended way to take PrEP in Australia currently. So you want to check on adherence. And if someone has, say, dropped less than four tablets in seven days, that is definitely a concern because that's the threshold when PrEP stops being effective and HIV is a possibility if you've had condomless sex. So checking on, on adherence, making sure that um, in those types of patients that there are no symptoms or recent symptoms of HIV seroconversion, such as um, night sweats, fever, rash, feeling unwell, um, or flu-like symptoms for a, 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 few, a few days to weeks uh, in those specific patients. Um, and then secondly, um, after that, really it's about just performing standard testing, comprehensive STI testing. So ensuring that they have tests for sexual infections, blood tests for HIV and syphilis. And that's it really. And then it's just three monthly reminders, which can be done on an electronic reminder system. Develop, people develop different models. So sometimes patients will fill out a history sheet before they see a clinician, which might speed things up as well. So this is something that we need to acknowledge when we're talking about PrEP. Concerns have been raised that PrEP use will result in a reduction in condom use. And from what we've seen so far at Sydney Sexual Health Centre, this does seem to be occurring. What does this mean for other sexually transmitted infections like gonorrhea and syphilis? How concerned should we be about this and what should we be doing about it? So firstly, it is a concern and something that has challenged the implementation of PrEP uh, into the wider community because there is this perception that um, PrEP will encourage, um, in inverted commas, risky sex or condomless sex, and it's actually encouraging things. But something that we are aware of and is proven in, in research is that rates of condomless anal sex were occurring well before PrEP was implemented. So um, when we're seeing people on PrEP with high rates of STIs, it might reflect the fact that you're actually engaging a population group who are at risk of STIs and HIV, and what you're doing is identifying those infections very early, whereas before they may not have actually attended for healthcare. So the high rates of STIs are a concern, and um, something that we need to recognize when we're talking about PrEP is as a biomedical intervention, so a pill to stop you getting HIV, we need to remember you need to use condoms. Uh, and perhaps that message was, um, a bit hard to push across at the beginning, but certainly for existing patients on PrEP, we are seeing a number of uh, patients coming back quite frequently into the service and are recognizing that condoms still need to be used uh, to prevent sexual infections because in the era we now have of antimicrobial resistance for gonorrhea, other infections like mycoplasma genitalium, this is a real concern and um, the increased frequency is of STIs um, uh, is becoming increasingly complex. Um, so I would always remind patients to use condoms. We're recognizing, let's be honest about this, they're, they're, they're using PrEP because they're not going to be using condoms. But there might be times when they should consider still using condoms um, in specific sexual networks and specific casual partners. Um, so there's lots of complexities to using and not using condoms. And we need to recognize that. So you'd say that the message has moved away from all condoms all the time into more of a situational... I think we have to be realistic about it. People attending for PrEP are not using condoms, that's why they're on it. 
Um, but they also might be making a choice. They might say, look, I'll rely on PrEP for my way to stop me getting HIV with some partnerships, sexual partners, but sometimes I'll go, actually, I'm going to use condoms this time. And I think we need to have those open discussions. They're actually very rewarding discussions with, um, with clients. And PrEP allows you to have that honesty, I think, with patients. So we'll end with the obvious question that's really the whole point of this podcast. What would you say is the main thing that health professionals need to know about PrEP? So the main message is it's a fabulous engagement tool for, and a great way into talking about sexual health, holistic care with patients who are generally quite fit and well. Um, they will come into your practice. Uh, once you start talking about PrEP, they will engage with you. Um, they will trust you. Um, PrEP prescribing is easy. There are a number of resources out there. Uh, we really want PrEP to be pushed out into the wider community. It's here to stay, uh, and it's the ideal, uh, the ideal place for that to take place is primary care. That was Rick Farmer, Clinical Services Manager at Sydney Sexual Health Centre and one of our staff specialists. We also spoke to Mark Bloch, who is the President of ASHAM, also known as the Australian Society for HIV, Viral Hepatitis and Sexual Health Medicine. ASHAM is a peak organisation of health professionals in Australia and New Zealand who work in the space of HIV, viral hepatitis and sexually transmitted infections. ASHAM provides education and support to the health workforce as well as advocacy on its behalf. So I am president of ASHAM um, and um, I'm also um, on the New South Wales HIV Implementation Committee um, ministerial committee that's actually looking at ways of reducing uh, HIV infection in New South Wales. Uh, in addition to that, um, I'm working fairly much full-time as a GP and have been for about 30 years. Um, and at our practice, we've been involved in a number of uh, PrEP studies, uh, um, uh, HIV prevention studies. So we're talking about the things that health professionals need to know about PrEP now that it's available on the PBS. Mm -hmm. This might be a topic that a lot of health professionals don't know a lot about, especially if they don't have a high number of gay or bisexual patients. What would you say is the most important thing they need to know to be prepared if a patient asks about it? Well, I think the first thing is um, in a wonderful move, um, the federal government has decided to support uh, the availability of PrEP through the PBS. Um, PrEP has already been shown to be an enormous uh, tool that we can have to reduce new HIV infection. So I think being aware that um, GPs can prescribe PrEP um, through PBS prescription and they can make it available to patients who are at risk of acquiring HIV. Can you explain what steps are necessary for a GP to start prescribing PrEP? Um, so, um, ASHAM have put out a great um, decision-making uh, tool uh, that GPs can refer to in terms of making those decisions about whether a patient is eligible for PrEP and what they actually need to do to, to organise it. You can locate it on the ASHAM website. So what kind of feedback has ASHAM received so far about access to PrEP in the GP setting since the PBS listing? Are a lot of people taking advantage of this option so far? So um, most um, 
PrEP access is really happening through high caseload practices um, that um, have seen a lot of patients uh, who may be at risk of acquiring HIV, um, uh, gay, bisexual men, uh, and, and so on in the inner city, and also sexual health clinics. But gradually, um, the um, requests for PrEP will, will come out throughout the community, and um, uh, GPs are starting to become aware. They're getting questions from their um, uh, patients about PrEP, and uh, hence it's good to know about it and to be in a position to actually uh, either make a decision whether you uh, are going to get involved and provide PrEP, or if you don't feel very comfortable about that, you can always refer the patient to a sexual health clinic or um, one of the inner city um, gay orientated uh, practices. PrEP is uh, what you need to think of it in terms of a, a PrEP program. So there's sort of components to this program. There's, there's the writing of the prescription and the patient taking the medication and PrEP has been incredibly effective uh, in terms of preventing HIV transmission. We have more than 10,000 people in Australia taking PrEP regularly and there's only been one case identified of HIV transmission. Um, but um, one of the th concerns that we have with PrEP is that um, there might be an increase in sexually transmitted infections. So part of this PrEP program is actually to see patients on a regular three-monthly basis to um, assess them for uh, and test them for HIV and STIs. Um, but also one of the potential side effects of PrEP can be that it can affect uh, renal function. And uh, this is particularly in cases of people who have borderline renal function to start off with, but it can occur in other people. And, and so um, monitoring through um, three monthly EGFRs and protein creatinine ratios uh, will enable you to keep on track the patient's renal function and if you pick up deterioration of renal function and the patient stops taking the PrEP, um, there'll be recovery of that renal function. Is there anything that health professionals need to know before starting a, a new person on PrEP? Yeah. So I think um, you, uh, apart from having that discussion with the patient and then being ready to commence PrEP, um, uh, you need to do some baseline testing. You need to do some baseline HIV and STI testing to make sure the patient hasn't got HIV to start with. Um, and you also need to check renal function. In a, an older patient, you may also want to look at uh, doing bone density scan uh, because uh, one of the components of PrEP is associated with low bone density, which, which isn't really a problem in younger patients, but it may, may be in an older patient. Moving a tool like PrEP from the specialist sexual health setting into a more general health setting is a big step, and it's likely to present some challenges. What do you think is likely to be the biggest obstacle for the communities that you work with, and what do you think will be the biggest benefit? In terms of the communities I've been working with, they've been very enthusiastic about taking up PrEP. Um, so from a, a public health point of view, it's been 
incredibly effective in reducing HIV transmissions, but also from the individual patient perspective, um, uh, the patient being able to take a medication that actually can protect themselves, protect themselves against HIV, but not other STIs. But, uh, you know, HIV has been this huge specter that's sort of hung over people's lives for uh, decades now, and, and just the ability to take a medication that gives them the control and the protection has made an enormous difference in terms of people feeling more comfortable and safe about having uh, sex with others. So tell us about the work that Ashram has done so far in preparing GPs and the community for the next phase in HIV prevention. So Ashram has been uh, has put together this decision-making uh, tool that um, uh, uh, GPs can access. Um, uh, Ashram is also providing educational uh, events and meetings where GPs can go and learn about PrEP and as well as some training courses. Uh, so if you, for example, want to prescribe PrEP, you can contact Ashram and do a training course so you feel much more knowledgeable and confident about prescribing it. And uh, the more people we have out there that are uh, interested and willing to prescribe PrEP, uh, the, the better the situation is going to be uh, in terms of reducing HIV infections because uh, really the new infections that are happening with HIV uh, are no longer happening to the same extent in the inner city, but they're really happening more in, in the suburbs uh, and more from non-English speaking background people and, uh, and uh, GPs are in contact with those people and they have a great opportunity to be involved and to actually reduce new infections of mm -hmm. HIV. So as you've just touched on there, Ashram has been quite heavily involved in raising awareness about PrEP and lobbying for better access for quite some time. You've done really significant work over the past few years to increase the level of knowledge and understanding of PrEP among health professionals and in the general community. Based on that experience, what would be your pitch to a health professional who wasn't sure about prescribing it in their practice? Look, I think that... Um uh, and, and GPs are aware that they really are there to meet the needs of the community that they serve and, and the patients that they see. So if they are seeing um, a need in their community, um, then um, this is one service that they can provide and, and, and make a contribution, not only from a public health point of view, but also to their individual patients. And um, we're providing pathways through ASHAM to enable uh, GPs to upskill and uh, be able to provide those PrEP services. Uh, it's really not terribly complicated to provide PrEP, but it's good to provide it in a good way as part of this uh, PrEP program uh, that I mentioned earlier. So where can health professionals go for more information on PrEP? There's also um, the ACON website. The AIDS Council of New South Wales provides a lot of information. Uh, a lot of that information is aimed at patients, um, but it's also very useful for healthcare providers as well to understand the issues involved and how their patients might actually see things. Um, New South Wales Health uh, also provides uh, information. Um, so so uh, in terms of New South Wales Health, uh, the sexual health information link 
which uh, is available uh, through Sydney Sexual Health Clinic, uh, have, have trained advisors that can actually provide information. So you could just ring them up and they'd be able to help you through this process as well. So let's end with some big picture thinking. PrEP has been referred to as a game changer for HIV prevention and as something that gives us a real chance of ending HIV. What would you most like to see happen over the next year following the PBS listing? Um, well, what I'd most like to see is that the great uptake of PrEP continues and the people that have been a little bit more harder to reach, um, a little bit less connected, um, also have an opportunity to take up PrEP and so we can really work towards uh, substantially reducing HIV. We've achieved so much in this country, we're really streets ahead of so many other countries in terms of what they're actually do done and, and what, what they're doing in terms of uh, HIV prevention. Um, we can really set ourselves up as a model for, for other people to, to follow. That was our own Rick Farmer, Clinical Services Manager at Sydney Sexual Health Centre, and Mark Block, President of ASHAM, talking about the things that health professionals need to know about PrEP now that it's listed on the PBS. To find out more, visit the ASHAM website at ashm.org.au or the Sexual Health InfoLink website at www.shil.org.au nsw.gov.au. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to share this podcast with your friends and colleagues and subscribe if you want to hear more from us.